0: Well, good evening. Uh, My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. Um, Please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Well, it's Mother's Day today, and if you've noticed the smallish redheads that accompany me everywhere, you may know that I am a mother. And if you've noticed the antics of the front pew here, and that sometimes I get this face that says, Mom is really mad, but she's trying to look sort of pastoral and calm, (laughs) then you may have also noticed that I'm not always the most patient mother. And so I feel kind of ambivalent about Mother's Day as someone who knows really well all of my own limits and flaws as a mother. And I also feel the sting of this day. I lost my own mother-in-law unexpectedly about six months ago, and I still miss her dearly. And I've walked with a lot of women through the heartbreak of unfulfilled motherhood whether because of singleness or infertility or the loss of a child. And so this whole institution of motherhood is just sort of fraught with pain for as long as there is sin in the world. And so I want to tell a story about a different kind of mother as we get into the passage tonight. So a few years ago, I was in Cambodia with a small team of people, including our vicar, Liz Gray. And just as a side note, if Liz ever asks you to go anywhere in the world, just say yes. Because for one, she's probably not gonna take no for an answer anyway. (laughs) But also following Liz somewhere unknown, somewhere unfamiliar, is pretty much always a recipe for spiritual growth. So more on that later. But anyway, we were in Cambodia and we were sitting around um, early in the day before the sun got too hot. We were drinking this really thick Cambodian coffee, and we were with people from the church in Phnom Penh, listening to these stories of what God had done in their lives. And this one man's story really touched me. So he talked about being orphaned at a young age, and even though he had been adopted into another family, he never could shake off that sense of rejection that came from being unwanted and abandoned by his birth family. And so as he talked, he began to cry. And he said, sometimes I think my whole life is about healing from that pain of being orphaned and about learning to be loved by Father God and Mother Church. So that's the kind of mothering, that's the kind of love that we all need on Mother's Day and every day. And Jesus gets that. And he knows that the way we get ourselves into that kind of love is by being on mission with Mother Church. And so in our passage tonight, Jesus gives us that mission, and he tells us to go. He says, go. Go into all the world. Seek out people from every language and ethnicity and culture who need to know that they are loved and forgiven, who need to know that they have a place at their father's table and in their mother's house, a role in this new family that God is building. Go. Because Jesus knows that it's in the going that we move from orphans to adopted children in his family. It's in the going that we move from doubters to worshipers, which we're gonna see in the disciples. And it's in the going that we take our place in that explosion of joy that Quatley read about a few minutes ago. It's in the going. So let's get into our text and just to sort of orient us where we are in the story. Jesus has been tried by the Roman authorities. He's been crucified. He's come back to life. And now he's in this time where he's sort of appearing to his followers all over the place. He's still teaching them. He's still helping them understand what he's doing, why all this crazy stuff is happening, and what it all means. And so last week, Liz talked about how one of his followers, Thomas, refused to believe that Jesus had really come back to life unless he could see Jesus and physically touch his crucifixion wounds. And Jesus had compassion on all those doubts. And he came to Thomas, and he let him see and hear and touch everything he needed in order to be able to worship. And this week, again, we see followers who doubt. We see Jesus coming to them with compassion with everything they need to worship. But it looks different this time. So reading in verses 16 through 18, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. Now, it seems like this must be a different kind of doubt than Thomas had, because these followers are already face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus. So their doubt probably isn't about whether this really is Jesus or whether the story is true. They saw him crucified, and they're seeing him resurrected. So their doubt is different. And actually, the word for doubt that's used here is different too. A better word might be that they hesitated. They hesitated. And the message translation captures this idea when it says, they held back, not sure about worship, not sure about risking themselves totally. And I think that's where a lot of us are tonight. We believe, but we hesitate. We've settled some of those foundational questions about who Jesus is. We might believe in his death and resurrection. We might even have seen him at work in our lives, but we hold back. We're not sure about risking ourselves totally We might be embarrassed by the behavior or the failures of other Christians or the church. We might be really comfortable with the ease or the safety of our lives. Maybe we just don't even believe any of this really matters that much. But for whatever reason, we hesitate. We hold back. We stop short of worshiping Jesus with our whole lives. And so how does Jesus respond to that hesitation? Well, he sends us out on mission. His response is to tell us to go. In fact, the therefore after Jesus' go implies that Jesus assumes we'll be going anyway. He assumes that a life with him is one of always going, always moving. And it's in that going that we move from hesitation to worship. From what John Stott calls from unbelief and fear to faith and joy. So Jesus commissions doubters. He commissions hesitant people, not spiritual giants, to go and do his work in the world. And it's in the going that hesitant people like us are transformed into worshipers. So let's look at that going. And as I said, the language here just sort of assumes that we are going That we will be going people. And then embedded in that going is this command to make disciples. So it's actually like Jesus is saying something more like, as you're going, which I just assume you're always gonna be doing, make disciples. Jesus commands and expects us to be going and making disciples. He expects this lifestyle of going. So, where do we go? Well, the text says all nations, a phrase that means all kinds of people, all over the world, all languages, all ethnic groups, all tribal identities, all cultures, all of them. And while we might live in this really connected global world, Jesus' followers definitely did not. In their world, there were Jews and there were everybody else. And Jesus had made clear to them again and again and again that he was all about the everybody else. He was all about bringing the far off and the lonely and outsiders into the fold. Well, back in our early 20s, my husband and I, in true early 20-something fashion, quit our jobs, and we took what little money we had and some borrowed backpacks, and we traveled around Africa. And we visited all these communities who were recovering from genocide and famine and the AIDS epidemic. And then a few years later, I worked for this international NGO, and I had the opportunity, again, to travel, to meet Christians all over the world, people who were often meeting in homes in secret because they were afraid of being persecuted. And I also met with Muslims and Buddhists and atheist communist officials and local police. People who were also really curious about Jesus, who were really eager to sit down over tea and have a conversation about who this man was, what he taught, what the resurrection meant, why his followers did all these weird things, especially why they forgave their persecutors the way they did. And then a few years later, when my family was part of a church where Liz Gray was the outreach pastor, remember what I said about always saying yes if she asks you to go anywhere, I had the opportunity to travel again to pray with Christians in some really tough contexts. And then for the past couple of years, along with Liz and Morgan, I have spent a lot of time going right here, around Columbia Pike, around Incarnation's neighborhood, praying and talking to people all along the pike, having these really surprising encounters in places as exotic as Target and 7-Eleven and Starbucks, where people actually opened up about their spiritual hunger. And so I can say from all of these experiences that nothing has strengthened my own faith and nothing has led me deeper into worship than going Nothing has pierced through all of my comfort and my hesitation, all of my lingering doubts, like crossing the ocean or crossing my street and having these intentional prayerful conversations with people who are different from me. And so it's been in that going that I've seen that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus really matters. It really does have the power to transform people's lives and heal their communities and create this big, joyful, global family of worshipers. So, we're supposed to always be going, making disciples among all kinds of people everywhere. But how? Well, the text gives us these two adverbs, two participles that describe what this going and making disciples looks like, baptizing and teaching. So first, baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the way we bring people into the family of God. It's the initiation rite for everyone who trusts in Jesus. So maybe you were here on Easter When we baptized baby Ben. And we said to him together, We receive you into the fellowship of the church, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection. And then we sang, Jesus loves me over him. And baptism makes people who are far from God into baby Bens. They are part of the family, they are loved, they are sung over. And that's what my Cambodian friend was talking about. We talked about being healed and transformed by the love of Father God and Mother Church. He was talking about being welcomed into a new family. And Jesus is sending us out to extend the boundaries of that family everywhere. So we go, we make disciples by baptizing, and then we go and make disciples by teaching, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we make disciples by talking about all the stuff that Jesus talked about, by doing all of that stuff ourselves, and by teaching others to do it too. Like all those things that Jesus said about loving our enemies and giving in secret, about not being anxious, about not judging, about being merciful, being peacemakers. Everything he taught us about how we pray and how we fast, how we treat the poor and the sick and the outcast. About how we're supposed to forgive again and again and again and again. About how the greatest in God's kingdom is the one who serves, and how this kingdom was going to be ruled by a Son of Man who would die in our place and come again. So we go and make disciples by teaching all of that with our words and with our lives to everyone, everywhere. Well, because we are located right here along Columbia Pike, we can go to all nations just by walking down the street. And so as we close, I want to invite you to walk down the street, to have some intentionality, to pray as you do it, to trust Jesus's authority and his presence wherever you go, and to ask him to make himself known. Pop into Café Cézanne or Goodwill or the Penrose Starbucks or the playground. Talk to people. Ask questions. Keep coming back. You will be surprised, as I definitely have been, at how people open up, at how Jesus shows up in the going. And then this summer, there's a team that's going to West Asia from this church, They're going to walk and pray and drink tea with some of the best goers that I know in the town where our Nicene Creed was written. And you're going to be stuck with just me for a couple of weeks while Morgan and Liz are there. But we're going to be okay because we can go with them spiritually by reading their email updates and by praying them into every encounter, every cup of tea, every living room that they go and sit in. And then every third Sunday we got to eat somewhere along the pike. And while this is really fun and it builds community and it leads us into some culinary adventures, some that are slightly sketchy, it's also a way of going. It's also a way that we bring the presence of Jesus in his people into places where he isn't yet known and worshipped. So over your bangers and mash or your drunken noodles or your kebabs, look around. Pray for your servers. Pray for the other tables. Talk to them. Pray over the space. Incarnation has to be a church of goers and disciple makers. And not just because Jesus told us to, even though that is definitely enough of a reason, but because we need it. Because it's in that going that we move from hesitation to worship. It's in that going that we stop holding back, that we really worship and taste and see all that Jesus is for us in all of our lives. So let's pray. Father, we do want to be worshipers. We want to see more of you at work in our lives and in our communities. So would you give us courage? Would you make us goers?